BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We've got a few, got a, a, an exciting episode today. Um, you know, a little later, at, towards the end of the show, we are going to be playing some of the, the kind of like the finalists for our uh, theme song contest. We're getting close to close to making a, uh, a final choice. So that's going to come up uh, towards the end of the broadcast. And we want your input. We're not going to make it like in a, you know, like a formal like counting the votes. We're kind of down to just a, a, a few contenders, but we want your input. We want to get a sense of what you think. And, um, you know, if it turns out that like uh, of the of the three contenders that we're going to play for you, if it turns out that, you know, kind of everybody loves one of them, uh, you know, we'll probably go with that one. So it's not like, again, not like an official count or a vote or something like that. But we want to get your input because, um, it's a it's a it's a it's a funny pro, it's a funny process choosing a theme song because on the one hand everybody has their own subjective sense of music right you like some songs you don't like other songs it's just, you know it's it's a, a lot of its personal taste uh, but with a theme song on a for a podcast at least especially especially for me since I introduce the podcast. You know, I do that kind of, oh, it's Josh Marshall, Josh Marshall, blah, 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 blah. When I was doing this process, a lot of it is thinking about how, how do I, you know, how do I talk it in with this song, right? Kind of, you know, you want the song needs to give sort of like a forward momentum, blah, 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 blah. In any case, we are going to, we are going to bring you some details on that towards the end of the episode and uh the rest you know look we got the 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 news and um you know we didn't we did an episode uh god was it was it one week ago or two weeks ago i in my in my personal life there's been you know kids starting school a lot lot lots a lot of stuff's been going on so i lose, lose a little track of time but we did a show where basically i think our theme was like everything sucks now (laughs) Right. (laughs) Everything's going badly. And um, I'm not sure it's quite the same and not not necessarily that anything's going better, but so much is going on right now. You know, we we have it seemingly very much in the up in the air about whether there is actually going to be this big reconciliation bill, which has spending on climate and infrastructure and a lot of social safety net type spending. And if that goes down, I think the infrastructure bill is going to go down too. So it could all go down. Now, I don't think it will because, uh, you know, beyond the, beyond the particulars, parties, presidents in this kind of situation, you know, first year in, they usually find a way to prevent stuff like that from happening. And usually what it comes down to is at a certain point, people see, wow, we're actually at the brink. This isn't just like, 
you know, my positioning and blah, 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 blah. The whole thing could blow up and people kind of draw back from the brink and say, okay, what are we, what are we going to do here? I suspect that is going to happen, but I'm not sure that's going to happen at this point. So we got that, which is obviously a really big deal, both substantively for the country, but certainly for the Biden presidency and the Democratic Party. It's a really big deal. And then we got this debt limit thing, which, you know, how often does this come up and how stupid is it? It's always important to understand exactly what this is and what it's not. This is basically the equivalent of you charged a bunch of stuff on your credit card. You know, so let's let's say like, you know, you voted whether to put the stuff on the on your credit card and now you're voting whether you're going to pay the bill. Well, <laughs> you know, in the real world, those are th- that's one decision. Right. You, you don't say like, well, you know, you already bought the stuff. So you, you've already crossed that bridge. The whole thing is stupid. So all it really does is sets you up for this kind of hostage taking of, oh, maybe we won't pay our bill. Well, you know, the, the whole thing is dumb. And, and really, uh, so I have no idea what's, you know, we're back to this where uh, Republicans are threatening a, a debt default. Basically, the gist here is they are, the mechanics of this is that they will vote to, they are voting to filibuster a bill that will agree to pay the stuff we already put on the credit card. And so what Republicans are basically saying is, hey, you got to put this in your reconciliation bill. Now, obviously, politicians don't want to do those. You know, they don't want to sign on to those things because because then people can run ads saying, oh, you decided to raise the deficit. They raise the debt. This, you know, this many trillions of dollars, blah, 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 blah. Um, and this is something that gets, you know, generally speaking, this gets done by consensus when Republicans are in charge. I mean, that's what happened in 2020. It got, it got, I don't know how many times it got raised just by kind of like unanimous consent. Or I guess what they did is, I think they didn't actually raise it. They suspended the rule, basically. So they basically, they didn't raise the debt ceiling. They said, we are, we are agreeing not to have a debt ceiling. You know, come on. All right. So that's happening. We've got, you know, we still have uh, various foreign policy things. So everything's going on at the same time. And, um, and it's pretty all over the place what's going on. And, and Kate, who follows this stuff for us, the kind of the nitty gritty up on Capitol Hill, the sausage making, she's been kind of getting, kind of giving us the read of what's going on right now. But I think the best way, the, it, the reason there's a stalemate right now, there may end up being a stalemate on the substance. But the real stalemate right now is, is you have the kind of the two sides talking two different languages. And even saying the two sides is kind of misleading. You know, you see the press reports and, and they basically kind of make it like, oh, you know, it's, uh, it's AOC and Rep Jayapal and, you know, Bernie on one side and it's Cinema and Mansion and Josh Gottheimer on the other side, you know, the moderates against the progressive. Well, that's not really what it is because some version of that $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill is supported by virtually all Democrats in Congress. They're a little tweaking here and there, some details and everything. But that basic concept, several new big social spending programs, a big climate push, 
that's the consensus Democratic position right now. And you've got two, you've got two senators basically saying no. So those are the two sides. The two sides is basically between both houses of Congress. There's like maybe a dozen people tops, most of them in the House and everybody else. And the reason it's held up right now, there may be more reasons, you know, they may get to the reasons of substance. But the reason it's held up right now is because one one side is talking the language of policy. Here are the programs we want to do. Here are the dollar amounts we want to spend. Here's the time frame that we want to implement over. And the other side, Mansion Cinema, they're talking the language of optics and positioning of wanting to be bipartisan and moderate or, you know, wanting to kind of rein in the Democrats. Now, I'm not getting into whether for the moment that's a good thing or a a bad thing, but those are two those are two separate languages. And 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 that's kind of why there's it's not that it's not that uh, they haven't been able to find a compromise They're They haven't really even been able to negotiate because for most of the Democrats, again, what what's being called in the press, the progressives. But again, I think that's really a misnomer in this case. What is there to negotiate about? Because the the cinemas and mansions and, and Gottheimers, they're not they're not putting an alternative proposal on the table. They're basically saying, you pass my bill, and then we'll see what happens. And one day, it's no more than $1.5 trillion, which is, you know, just a bit more than a third of what the most Democrats thought they were going to get. Or a strategic pause into 2022. Again, what, what does that even mean? Or it's, it's inflation, or it's work requirements, or a bunch of other things. It, clearly, these are, these are all backfills into, I need to slow things down. I need to be the bipartisan person. I need to be the one who's blah, 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 blah. And I'll kind of toss in some policy explanations, but they change every day and everything. Um, but again, th- their their bargaining position now is pass our bill and we'll see. And from, from again, what the, the, the progressives are taking the lead here, but that's kind of existential. That's not something you can kind of negotiate over because that mansion at all are basically saying, pass my bill and either we'll negotiate or you'll maybe just get nothing and you can't make me because you already passed my bill. Sorry. So again, what is there to even talk about there? Um, And the progressives in the house, which is, you know, kind of that's where the action is on that front. They are taking kind of an absolute position right now, but kind of what else can they do? Because the, the, what's being presented to them is, again, pass my bill, and maybe we'll negotiate for some of your stuff, or maybe we won't. That's up to me. So where do you, if now, if if Mansion and Cinema, and maybe a few more people who they're kind of semi-talking for, say, look, you know, I want this program, this program, this program, I'm not going to allow that program. And then you can kind of like sort of horse trade and see if you can get somewhere. Because look, the Democrats are going to have to come down for $3.5 trillion. That's just the reality. And, and, and maybe some of us were fooling ourselves to think that they could get all 50 senators on board with that. Although those senators definitely gave that impression like a month ago. 
but you know, can you get somewhere where everybody can be happy? And and once you're talking the language of policy in dollars, then you can see if you can make it all work. But again, they're talking two different languages. It's the language of policy versus the language of optics and positioning and being bipartisan, whatever that means. I mean, there's no being bipartisan. No Republicans are agreeing to vote for any of this. Um, so anyway, that is where we are. Uh, let me remind you that the Josh Marshall Bot podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Greatest uh, ice coffee under the sun. You can order some at Grady'sColdBrew.com with the uh, offer code TPM and get 25% off your first order. And um, and yeah, we're still kind of, uh, we need, we, uh, we're sort of, uh, what, what, what's, what's the word? Not freewheeling. What, what am I? What are you freestyling? Oh. Freestyling the copy here. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that's uh, so. So uh, go and get some uh, Grady's cold brew iced coffee. Uh, great stuff. I'm actually drinking some right now. You can see if you're watching if you're watching the video version of the podcast right here. It's totally, totally real, totally legit. Anyway, Kate, what, what the hell is going on up there? What's what's the latest? So late last night, around 9 p.m. or so, the House passed the continuing resolution, which would keep the government funded through this December and would suspend the debt limit until December 2022. But it's basically dead on arrival in the Senate. A ton of Republican senators have already come out against it, um, which means that you're going to need 10 to overcome the filibuster. Right now, there's really only three of them who have shown any openness to it at all. And two of those are Cassidy and Kennedy, who are from Louisiana, which just got pummeled by a hurricane. So they need the aid money. That's part of the continuing resolution. The other is Murkowski, who honestly hasn't really said much one way or the other, uh, just kind of holding her, her cards close to the vest. But you know, Romney's a defiant no. Colin said she would vote for keeping the government funded, but that including the debt ceiling is a whole different thing. So it sounds like at, at most you've got three Republicans who might vote for it, obviously well short of the 10 needed. So it seems that's dead on arrival. Meanwhile, McConnell and Richard Shelby from Alabama yeah, Alabama. Alabama. he's from Alabama, yeah. Wow, really doubted myself for a second. They have crafted basically a clean funding bill that would keep the government open, but that would decouple it from the debt ceiling, which is obviously exactly what they want because Republicans don't want to be blamed for the government shutdown. They want to keep it funded, but they don't want to deal with the debt ceiling. They want that to be Republican. They want that to be Democrats problem, leading them to make really convoluted arguments about it, such as it's imperative that the debt ceiling be raised. It's the height of your responsibility not to do so. But we Republicans are not going to do it. That's Democrats' job. Um, so that's basically the situation we've got. And so the problem for Democrats is that being the only party that's kind of invested in responsibly governing sucks because then you have to do that and figure out how to do your own political agenda. So basically where we're at now is due to some kind of procedural gobbledygook, the continuing resolution passed by the House will get to the Senate Friday, maybe Saturday. Senators infamously hate working on the weekend, so there's a chance they boot this whole thing till Monday, which basically when that bill fails in the Senate gives them three days to figure out how to fund the government before it shuts down. And the 
kind of harsh political reality of that is getting the government funded is not going to be that hard because Republicans also want to do it. But if you do a clean funding bill that Republicans will support and will help pass, then Democrats have given up any point of leverage that they have on the debt ceiling because Republicans have pretty much shown themselves to be shamelessly willing to, you know, say vote down an individual debt ceiling bill. Should they bring that to the floor? Because I think, let me ask you one thing. Have, have the, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but have the Democrats tried to uh, suss out or focus on the filibuster part of this? Because Democrats are more than happy to, to, as I understand it, to to pass all of this themselves with 50 votes, mm-hmm. um, which is generally what the Republicans want to do. It You know, kind of you do it all yourselves. They're offering to do it all themselves. Republicans are preventing a vote from happening. They're filibustering it. So I I guess the fact that that is contradictory, even on the basis of their own argument, like, you know, who am I kidding? That that doesn't matter. That's just how they roll. Right. No, that's a great point. And a good thing to keep in mind that the 60 vote threshold isn't automatic. Someone has to object first to basically stand up that wall, which we already have a whole slew of Republicans saying, oh, yeah, I'll object if no one else does. So you're totally right. I mean, Mitch McConnell's whole kind of surface level argument is that Democrats control the whole government. They want to do reconciliation by themselves. So they should do the debt ceiling by themselves. And you're absolutely right. If given the chance, Democrats would be more than happy to pass this CR with a simple majority. But Republicans, they're not going to let that happen because that argument is just so transparently bullshit. And it's all really just about making the political lives of Democrats as hard as possible. And, you know, fingers crossed, bringing down all the infrastructure agenda along the way. Now, okay, so my understanding of this, if you take uh, what the the Republicans are saying on its own terms, they are basically saying, we're going to block that. You've got to pile it into your reconciliation bill. Mm -hmm. So what is, for Democrats, why don't they just say, okay, why not? Fine. Great. Well, why not put it in the reconciliation? What's what's the what's the obstacle there? So the concern is that it would superficially kind of balloon the top line of the bill. It would make it seem really big, um, and then kind of give the mansion and cinemas of the world another tension point to be like, this is too much. We got to cut other stuff out to make room. But the flip side of it, which I think is kind of worth considering, is. Okay, Democrats have to put the debt ceiling hike into reconciliation, pain in the ass, might give moderates fodder to want to cut more programs, but also kind of a good way to make sure that Manchin and Cinema vote for it, right? Because then you're suddenly adding in, I mean, not only would they be torpedoing Biden's agenda if they vote it down, which they seem like pretty ready and willing to do, but at that point, then you're also saying, okay, fine, vote down the reconciliation package. But you're sending our country into a default on its debt, which has never happened before and which by all accounts would be catastrophic. So is 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 it really the case, though, that it it would be scored differently? Because kind of going back to what we said before, the it's not spending. It's spending that has already happened. It's 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 just paying it. So in what sense would it? I mean, I guess anybody can say anything they want. They can. I mean, if let, let's start from the the notional model that it's a three point five trillion dollar 
bill, um, if you're also increasing the debt limit by a few trillion, I guess people can say, oh, that's six and a half trillion or something right. like that. But in any, but that's not really the case. It's not, it's not scored that way. So am I missing something or is this just a matter of, again, people can kind of say whatever they want and, and that's how it is. That's my impression as well, that it's less about the substance of it and more that people who want it, it'll give another arrow in the, whatever you call the thing that holds the arrows. Quiver. Quiver. To people who already are trying to be against the reconciliation bill. Now, is there, I mean, the one thing a lot of us have been saying this for years, they should just get rid of this entire thing. Right. Is there any, I mean, since they can do, if they have to go to reconciliation, at that point, well, I don't know if, the whole parliamentarian thing, this is another thing we should probably talk about because people could, oh, parliamentarian says this, parliament, mm-hmm. the parliamentarian doesn't control anything. Nope. The parliament, and I know I'm not telling you this, just but for our listeners, the parliamentarian does not control anything. The parliamentarian is an advisor to the majority. So, and it's not just in theory, the majority can, can overrule the parliamentarian. It's happened many times. Yep. So it doesn't, it's not binding about anything. What it comes down to is that, I don't know if it's just Mansion and Cinema. Basically, the point is, it's it's meaningless. Because if you are, if you're deciding to do X, okay, let, let's say hypothetically, um, we are going to uh, fund some big climate thing in reconciliation. Okay. So you say, all right, all 50, all 50 Democrats are, are behind the climate thing. Great. Now the parliamentarian says you can't do the climate thing. Well, that's only, that only matters if 50 Democrats are totally 100% in favor of the climate thing, but not for the climate thing if the parliamentarian says it's not okay. But these are all just permutations of whether you whether you're for the climate mm-hmm. thing. And clearly you're not for it that much if you insist on taking the advice of, it's all, it's all, it's all nonsense. Um, how did we, I, I, I digressed onto parliamentarians. What, what, what was the, oh, oh. <laughs> In reconciliation, if I understand this, they could, the, the Democrats could just say, we're getting rid of this whole debt limit thing forever because it's stupid and it, it, keeps bringing us to the brink of of debt defaults is there any discussion of doing that getting rid of the whole thing i've seen none i mean and the only people who i've really heard talk about that with any kind of consistency are like the elizabeth warren types which just leads me to believe that as silly and dumb and not really true as it is there would be at least a few Democrats who will equate getting rid of the debt ceiling to blank check for unfettered government spending. Right, right. Okay, so they they don't have the... Yeah, and I mean, it's really too bad because I don't remember the exact, exact number, but at various points at which this has come up, right, This, this kind of recurrent debt ceiling... Uh, you know, game of chicken. There have been various surveys of every country in the world. And basically, the US and maybe like Denmark, and maybe it's not Denmark, but like one other country in the world has this. No one does this. Because again, if you 
think about it. There, there are so many ways in which a nation's budgeting is nothing like your home budgeting, but this is one way in which it is. And that is, uh, imagine how it would work if you got two, two decisions, one to spend the money and one, you know, one to put it on your credit card and one to pay off your credit card. <laughs> in the real world, those are the same decisions. And if you try to decouple them, you're going to get into a lot of trouble. And that's just the same thing. So, so having it there at all is just an invitation to this kind of blackmail. So, but, but clearly there's not, uh, they're not going to solve it. And I, and I guess, I think what you said is they're actually, again, not going to raise it. They're going to do this thing where they suspend it. Is that, is that right? Well, that's what's in the continuing resolution. Yeah. And that's what they did in 2020 under Trump. Yep, that's right. Um, which, again, <laughs> it is, it's it's just like an agreement to keep this, you know, sort of uh, to keep the, land, uh, the hand grenade under your bed. Right? Keep it, keep it there under your bed just in case you want to at some point in the future blow yourself up. You know, the logical thing is to take that is to remove the hand grenade from under your bed from the house because it's only there to cause trouble. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there we are. Okay. Well, and what else is going on? In particular, Republicans are the only ones who abuse it. I mean, since it became a thing to play political chicken with the debt ceiling under the Obama administration, it's only been Republicans who have taken advantage of that because they're the only ones who are willing to risk such enormous catastrophe to score political points on Democrats. And as we've seen, they can pretty much easily get away with it with the confidence that the vast majority of political news outlets will cover it as a Democrats v. Republicans issue. So, you know, I don't know. I think the asymmetry of the parties has been very glaring during this debate, as has the complete inability for most news outlets to recognize that asymmetry, which is just it lets them get away with it. I mean, why wouldn't you do it at that point? You're not yeah. going to suffer at all. And to people who aren't paying attention, a government shutdown and or the United States defaulting on its debt. I mean, the blame's going to land with the party that's in charge, no matter the complexities of the dynamics. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is a, it's a really crazy thing and it is worth considering why that kind of functional bias is there. And cause you know, what I, what I said a bit earlier that Democrats are willing to do this entirely on their own. They're willing to fund the government increase the debt ceiling or suspend the debt ceiling law or whatever it is, they're willing to do it 100% on their own. They're not asking for Republican votes, but Republicans are preventing them from being able to do that, from holding the vote. And one might say, why isn't that the center of press attention? Mm -hmm. And why is the center of press attention, oh, Democrats have a big problem on their hands? Yep. Well, it's the center of attention because people take it as a given. Of course, the Republicans are doing that because that's what they do. And, and there's that kind of um, conditioning, for lack of a better word, of the press that is just, you know, a, a reality that has um, a reality that has all sorts of negative effects that stream through all 
kinds of our politics, not not just not just this in any case. But yeah, and you know, there is one interesting thing I've seen floated, not in a in the way that's like people are actually talking about it, but they could decide to do a carve out of the filibuster for the debt ceiling, which would actually be kind of a perfect solution for Manchin and Cinema, because then they can still cause all kinds of trouble with the reconciliation package and the carve out wouldn't affect, I don't know, things like voting rights and the other things they seem not really wanting to pass. So it would kind of be pretty neat. Well, you know, and, and again, that is that is the same story on every front. All of these things are, you know, you've walked into the brown paper bag and how are you going to get out of the brown paper bag? Now, you could just back up and walk back out of the bag. And that's kind of what's happening here. Because on all these different fronts, the parliamentarian, the filibuster, all of these things, whatever you want, what, no matter which parliamentary procedure it is, no matter which substantive policy or law, all of these, you could just decide to solve all of them right now. Mm-hmm. This second by whether you want to call it a carve out or getting rid of the filibuster, whatever, whatever, whatever. These are all so so basically you are in this kind of mind game of, oh, I'm very much for the people act, but not to the <laughs> point of doing it on 50 votes. That is a, a point of principle or this this, uh, you know, debt hostage taking is outrageous but not to the point where I want to do a carve out for the debts. I mean, and again, th- that would be <laughs> it would kind of it would it would drive Democrats crazy if they did a carve out for this one thing of kind of yep. stupid no substance. But they could because they can do whatever they want. And driving Democrats crazy seems to be their biggest passion project. So I think it checks that box as well. Yeah. You know, the other yeah. thing I've been thinking in this kind of 5D chess arena is so far, all signs point to if they do hold a vote on the bipartisan bill, you know, the smaller one that just deals with hard infrastructure in the House next week, which is the arrangement because Josh Gottheimer and his goons, as you remember, kind of forced Pelosi into promising that she'd bring it up for a vote then whether or not the reconciliation bill is done, which now we know it definitely won't be. But anyway, all signs right now point towards House Republicans are not really going to help or not enough of them are going to help to overcome the progressives who will vote down the bill. That seems so dumb to me because I'm curious to get your thoughts, but they could put Democrats in a really bad spot. If they if if Republicans help pass this bill, they get a bipartisan thing to crow about and then they are basically dooming the reconciliation bill for sure. No question. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. And it's funny. I saw in uh, Politico their sort of um, lobbying newsletter. It's called I think it's actually called Politico Influence. Um, but good information. Right. And they had a thing yesterday saying how basically like the Chamber of Commerce and all the sort of the the business groups and the Republican leaning business, you know, all those groups are getting together and trying to get Republicans to save this bill because their interest, it tends to be a a Republican leaning, you know, those are Republican leaning outfits, but their interest is they really want that bill. They want that money, right? For, for building bridges and roads and blah, 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 blah. 
they probably don't mind wrong footing Democrats, but they really want that. So they're trying to get there. And um, it would put yes, it would it would it would really put Democrats in a in a in a bind. Now, remember, Joe Biden still got to sign the bill so they can short circuit that thing whenever they want. Good point. But that's that's not where they want to be. Mm-hmm. That is not where they want to be. They don't want, you know, kind of if you get into a thing where the upshot of all of this is there's no reconciliation bill and there's no infrastructure bill. Why? Because Joe Biden vetoed it. Well, that's uncomfortable, right? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure that um, I think the White House is very committed to, you know, keeping these two bills coupled together but that's not how they want to make it happen. That's a right. that's that's not great. But yeah, they could. They could. And 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 frankly, there's there's a couple different moving parts here. I think that I've heard stuff about what 30 or 40 Democrats voting against it in yeah. in that case. Yesterday Jayapal said at least half of the Progressive Caucus, which is around 95 people in the house. Right. Okay. So let's say let's say 50. Now, there's there's two issues here. One is, you know, frankly, I'm surprised it's not more. But I think the reason here is that the leadership is trying to get both these trains into the station. And I suspect they are telling people, look, we may have to loosen the coupling a bit to kind of get, you know, we got this promise. We got to get this one through, but we're going to get the other thing done. Don't blow it. Don't blow the whole thing up. Work with us. And maybe you have 50 who say, no, we're not taking anything on faith, blah, 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 blah. But I suspect if you rephrase the question to, are you going to vote for it? If you are sure there's no reconciliation bill, if, are you going to vote for it? If that vote means no climate, no, you know, no anything, I suspect be a hell of a lot more than 50. And I suspect you, well, it, it's a little more complicated since the Senate's already passed it. But I think, well, I just think there'd be a lot more than than 50. Yeah, I'm sorry. If I was a House progressive, no way in hell would I vote for the bipartisan bill. I mean, it's the one point of leverage they have. Progressives have been the one who have been falling in line all term. It's been moderates who have been trying to blow things up on every corner. And at this point, I mean, so it's not even so much to me about trust in leadership as it is trust that the moderates will get in on board. You know, you give them this vote and then leadership's like, we're going to do all we can to bring the trains into the station. I'm sure that they will, but leadership has not so far been able to get particularly Manchin and Cinema on board for absolutely anything. So why would that change now? I mean, progressives have this one point of leverage. I would not give it up. No, it's it's funny because those, let's say there's 50, 50 members of the Progressive Caucus, and this is going to be, you know, the, the probably the most leftward mm-hmm. of the 200 plus um you know, uh, Democrats in the House. Those are generally people who I don't, you know, that that's that's not the kind of the group that I'm generally in line with within the sort of the, you know, uh, Democratic firmament. But I wouldn't vote for it. I would absolutely not vote for it. Why would you vote for it? It, it is, this is, you know, the, the, the Democratic Party has been operating on a, a, a basic cross-party agreement. 
you guys get that thing that way. We get this thing this other way. And they're going to remain together. And they got the first part. And now they're basically saying, oh, okay, no, we're, we're not going to do that other part. Or you, you will do whatever I dis- it's, yep. it's just It's just breaking the agreement. And I don't think... Again, those are those are people who I tend to have, you know, within the context of democratic politics, those are not generally people when they are kind of on their own on something that I'm kind of with them, but I'm totally with them. You just can't. I mean, it, it, it's it is a it is a big and diverse and I don't mean in the sense in, in racially diverse. It is there's a lot of different groups who make up the Democratic coalition. And this has all been moving forward on this basic deal. And a handful of people are saying, okay, fuck the deal. Just do what just do my thing. And you can't you can't operate that way. And I'm sorry, but again, if I'm a House progressive, I'm not going to willingly let the caucus be led by people with these bullshit political instincts. I mean, it's just crazy to look at this from the outside and to see that the people who are threatening the whole agenda right now are largely people who have the most to lose if the whole agenda goes down and the whole country turns against the Democrats and then there's a terrible election and Joe Biden's political future is imperiled, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, that's not true for all of them. Like we were talking before with that group of kind of rebelling House moderates, some of them are in safely blue seats, but some of them are in swing districts and people who are in swing districts are the ones who have to pay when the political ties turn against the party. So the whole yeah. thing just seems, I mean, when we discussed this a bit before with Biden's kind of plummeting approval numbers that the instinct to like pivot away from him and make his agenda fail is it flies in the face of any reasonable way that you would actually turn the ship around. Yeah, I mean, some of this is like kind of game theory. There are some sets of facts that are are pretty rough because everybody's individual instincts and path to safety is a disaster for everybody collectively. I think it was Brian Boitler, uh, another one of the great TPM alums, who said uh, a few days ago on Twitter that there's there's this whole idea, or maybe he said it in an article, I can't remember where, um, that there's this whole idea that these moderates, they are the ones who really, you know, kind of understand the swing voters and stuff like that. And it is important. We'll get to in a minute. Swing voters are a thing that you do need to kind of understand how they how they function. But the the idea that those, you know, kind of uh, Democrats in marginal districts, you know, kind of understand the, the nuance. There's no evidence for that. In almost every case is there people who win their seats in wave elections and then get washed out with the next wave. They're, you know, ironically, they are they owe their seats not to a perfect understanding of swing voters, but to Democratic waves. Now, having said all that, it is certainly true. And I, you know, um, you, you've got the uh, the guy up in the northern district in Maine whose name escapes me at the moment, but I think he's one of the ten. Um, and uh, you know, he's one of those people. And and. To be a Democrat in one of those marginal seats, you do have to keep 
keep some distance from the national party for you know reasons we know but um but yeah if everything falls apart you get into a republican wave election type of scenario where it's not like democrats lose 10 seats and they lose the house but it's still very close it's what is like 30 seats i guarantee you all those people are going to go down Mm -hmm. so you know it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a tough set. And I, I will say this. This is also why I think something like this does come together. Yeah, me too. Because you start looking at that, you know, you want to do your kind of thing, your positioning and all that kind of stuff. Um, but those people know that if everything is a catastrophe, they're going to they they will not. It, you're not going to have the Democrats like lose 30 or 40 seats. And like, I think it's Jared Golden or something like that. I, I, I was going to say Golden, but yeah, I, yeah, I lacked the guy, confidence. Yeah, the guy up there. I'm pretty sure that's him. He it's you're not going to find out he survived that that wave. He's going to be the first one that goes down. So people, I think, will will uh, uh, kind of see this and this will, you know, uh, uh bring them back to reason. The other thing, you know, and this is something um, for people who, who read the site, um, you know, I, I did this post about Kirsten Cinema uh, yesterday and reader uh, GT from Arizona, who I think, if I'm remembering his email, even though he's, you know, kind of functionally a Democrat, he's registered as an independent. So he gets mailers targeted at those people. And he's been getting these mailers. And in those mailers, it's actually from an independent pack, but, you know, basically on cinema's behalf, those mailers are already kind of listing out itemized all the great money that's coming to Arizona from the bipartisan mini bill. Like the money's on the way. It's in the mail. And so to the extent that that is what her position is, that puts her in a bit of a bind. I mean, she's kind of making her whole thing in Arizona now. She's she got she did the bipartisan. She's got the money for Arizona, all this kind of stuff. So if it goes down, that's really a disaster for her. She needs it to pass. Yeah, I think I think I agree with everything you said. I think there is this like paralyzing fear of doing things that is permeating this whole process. And that I think is kind of behind why the filibuster is still intact, too. That Democrats have and Republicans don't really have because there's not that much stuff they want to do. But I just don't get it. It's like this defensive crouch of being worried about what the opposition ads are going to say if you pass this reconciliation package. Like, let me save you the money of hiring a political consultant. They're going to call you a socialist. They do it every election. It's been happening a lot. And they're going to do it whether or not you pass the reconciliation bill. So it's just like... For God's sakes, look at the way the political winds are blowing. You do not have a very long opportunity to pass stuff right now. And it really does make me freaking pull my hair out that it's we're watching like, like you say, this the small group of Democrats who think who seem to think and the political kind of news establishment seems to agree have these unimpeachable political instincts that are leading them right into like an intra-party implosion of the entire agenda. I mean, it's just baffling. <laughs> But well, it, I do yeah. I do agree with you. My money is still that I think both of these things do get passed ultimately. I think the only way that they don't is if they do become uncoupled because I think it's a real concern 
that bipartisan will pass by itself, whether that be the result of some kind of compromise or Republicans maybe wising up to the fact that they could actually really damage the Democrats in that way. And then, I mean, look at the attitude from the moderates. There's just there's no way reconciliation will pass at that point. Right. Well, they'll, they'll I suspect what it will be is they won't, you know, it's a bad memory, but in, in 1994, the big thing was the Clinton health care plan. Mm-hmm. And that was all the history was behind it. And Clinton had run on it and blah, 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 blah. And it meant everything. And then it never even came to a vote. It, it mm-hmm. just it and 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 the Democrats got destroyed in 1994. Um, now. There were a lot of different things that went into that. A lot of it was the sort of the final uh, movement. Oh, the South away from the Democratic Party. So it wasn't just that. A lot of different moving parts there. Um, But I suspect it would be something like that in that it would never even come to a vote. You just have... You know, Manchin talking about a strategic pause to 2023 and this and, you know, just talking, 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 talking until some point in 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 2022, when everybody just looks at each other and and says, this is obviously never going to happen. Why are we even talking about it anymore? Um, So, yeah, you know, and and with the whole thing of, you know, blowing up because this would be a lot more than about. The Democratic, you know, Joe Biden or the 2022, this would be unbelievably destructive to the Democratic coalition in general in a way that would have repercussions long into the future. I'm not saying that means there has to be a three point five trillion dollar reconciliation bill. But if you basically have everything fall apart and there's basically nothing that's bad. That's just, mm-hmm. that is bad for uh, the democratic coalition in ways that are, that I, I think are pretty catastrophic. Um, now it, it's back to that. Again, it's sort of uh, some of this is kind of game theory where each side needs to show they mean business and to, to say, look, am I going to tank the whole thing? Yes, I will really tank the whole thing. Even I'm saying that. That 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 you know that everybody else who's not these three people should say, look, we're not going to vote for the bipartisan bill. We're just not. We're not going to not going to go down that path. Um, everybody kind of needs to be willing to kind of put their big threats on the table, and needs to be able to prove to the other side they're serious. And if you if things kind of if if that can get out of hand and it can, it can get pretty bad. Um, and what you hope is that both sides see that the other side is serious and say, okay, let's draw back here. Um, the progressives are serious. They'll blow up the, the, the bipartisan bill. And that, it pains me as it is to say uh, these two recalcitrant Democratic senators are serious that it's not going to be $3.5 trillion. And I don't think $1.5 is going to cut it. But like 
2.5. Maybe that's where it's going to be. And frankly, in, in the context of that, to me, just, just, um, j just myself, um, then it all has to go to climate because that, that to me is the existential thing. But someone's got to, you know, kind of bring that all, you know, bring that all home. Yeah. And one other thing we should mention on this topic before we get to some questions is that today, President Biden is hosting a whole swath of people at the White House, kind of key house people from these different wings. He's having Schumer and Pelosi. He's having Manchin and Cinema, basically, you know, getting his hands dirty. I would say that of what we know from his kind of one-on-ones with Manchin and Cinema, which are, you know, granted, we've only gotten kind of a few trickles from that meeting, and it's it's hard to tell who's doing the leaking, you know. I mean, all we know about cinemas is basically she said, if my bipartisan bill goes down, I'm going to kill reconciliation and blah, blah, blah. And like that kind of sounds to me like the posture that cinema would like to ha be seen as having yep. taken in that yep. meeting. Yep. Um, so, you know, it's it's unclear. I mean, they didn't come out of that meeting being like, you know what? Never mind, everybody. We're going to stop being such pains in the ass and like we're going to actually help Biden. Yeah, but we the, don't know. I mean, it might be a gradual process. The whole idea that I kind of wonder why the meetings were even announced or if the what, you know, why the White House did, because the idea that like either one of them is going to go into Biden and Biden says, hey, time's up, buddy. You got to get on. You, you, you got to fall in line. And they're going to say, oh, OK. <laughs> I mean, that, that that's that's ridiculous. That 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 just makes no sense. This is going to happen through a lot of negotiation. I mean, this isn't this is not the Joe. This is not a matter of that. Like Kirsten Cinema doesn't know Biden's serious. Right. So so the the whole idea that you're going to have one kind of like, you know, come to Jesus. I mean, that, that's just not how it's going to happen. Um, right. So anyway, I do. I don't know. I do think that the news that Biden is kind of inserting himself into this specific process happening right now is a good thing, though, in part because I think, you know, being a, a House member is a bit different than being a Senate member. You've got yeah. less time between reelection. You've got less, you know, kind of personal branding and clout and all that. So I do think that what sway the president has will probably be greater um, there, even though, my God, I can so many beltway publications are like so excited to remind us that Biden is a creature of the Senate and he knows nothing about the House. And it's like, OK, relax. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like the idea. I mean, if you think about it, if the idea, if you like worked on Capitol Hill for 40 years, I mean, you pick up a little about the House by osmosis. <laughs> right? Just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. All right. So so I guess what, do we uh, we're, we're on to questions now or are on to our songs? Let's do questions and then wrap with songs as a little bit of a an uplifter. Yeah. Okay. So, um, our first question is from Wint who says with McConnell saying that zero Republicans will vote to raise the debt limit. Do you see this reinforcing mansion and cinema's obstinance over the filibuster and larger democratic reconciliation bill, or is the GOP overplaying its hand here and forcing mansion and cinema to change course to avoid fiscal catastrophe? So we've talked about this a little bit. Basically, the idea that, you know, if Republicans refuse to play ball, Democrats are in some way going to have to do it themselves. And the options are going to be either filibuster carve out or get rid of the filibuster in the one bucket or 
do it in reconciliation. Yeah, I, I just it seems to me highly, highly, highly unlikely that we're going to get get a carve out just because they don't want to do carve outs. And I just don't see I think this is probably going to be resolved by them having to put it into reconciliation. I hope yeah. I'm wrong on that front that they can kind of squeeze the Republicans. But I think that's how it'll be resolved. And I just don't see this as somehow, you know, kind of contingently, paradoxically being the sort of the, you know, camel's nose under the tent that, that destroys the filibuster. I, I just I just don't see that. Yeah, I unfortunately agree, though, like I said earlier, I do think a potential silver lining here could be that it keeps Manchin and Cinema much more on the hook to pass reconciliation if the alternative is defaulting on our debts. Not that yeah. that won't make them difficult about its contents and its size, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think that's possible. But there's that's also, possible. which I didn't mention before, like a timing component. You know, if if the debt ceiling does get wrapped into reconciliation, well, that pretty neatly puts an end to Manchin's whole let's put a pause till 2022 thing, because the most generous estimates are that we're going to be in real trouble by October. So you got to move. Yeah, I, I think I mean, and the, this is the thing with Manchin. This is there's no grand strategy with Manchin. Each day he's getting up and, you know, reading Axios and political newsletter, kind of getting the sense with a the feel of the inside folks are and kind of, you know, doing it on that basis. And I'm only half kidding. You know, he's, it, it, it's just, he's just making it up as he goes along. Yep. Okay. This question is from Stuart who says, why would Wall Street hedge funds, the Chamber of Commerce, et cetera, allow Republicans to risk tinking the world economy by not raising the debt ceiling? Which I think my response is because Republicans are very confident that Democrats won't allow that to happen. Yeah, I think it's I think it's two things. One is exactly that. Democrats will clean up Republicans' messes and that gives them a lot of freedom to do all sorts of bad stuff. But the other thing is that yes, the business community has supports the Republicans, has deep, you know, tentacles into the Republican Party. It's got some into the Democratic Party too. All that stuff. But the Republican Party is not run by the people on Wall Street or the people at the Chamber of Commerce. That's just not, that is a misunderstanding of how the Republican Party works these days. They have things they want from Republicans, they have things they get from Republicans, but the money folks do not control the Republican Party. So that I think is just a, a kind of a basic misunderstanding at that point. So there's both, it's both things. And then we got a smattering of questions asking variations of whether cinema may be planning to change parties and that's what's behind her pretty inscrutable behavior. What do you think? I, I, I don't think so. I did a post about this or actually published a, 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 an email from a reader that I think went into a lot of this and kind of ex, it, it, it was a pretty good explanation of what of where she's coming from. I doubt very much that um, she's going to switch parties, although she might, um, but I doubt it. I think it's more, I could see her running as an independent, you know, kind of doing what Joe Lieberman did um, in 2006. Um, I could see that. And I think she basically, she is trying to be the, you know, the, the party of 
the kind of the swing state moderates. And um, as I as I explained in a piece, I think one I haven't published yet. I think she's probably um, I think she's probably gotten the support of those people. But that's only that's only a few percentages of the electorate. And she's really tanked her support among Democrats. So I think she is thinking that uh, if she lost Democratic primary, she'd run independent and, and be able to bank on the Republicans will 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 put someone up so crazy that Democrats will have to back her. So I do think it's possible that she, you know, she's trying to be the political independent from Arizona. I think it is possible she will run next term as an independent. It's maybe even conceivable she would kind of... uh, you know, you you got to you got to caucus with one side or the other, but I, I just don't see her running as a Republican. I just think that I mean, maybe who knows? Maybe she she'd try, but she wouldn't succeed. So I I, I doubt that. All right. So now, uh, like Josh teased at the beginning of the show, we're going to play some clips of three of our kind of top contenders for our our theme song competition. And again, just to reiterate, you know. We really liked a lot of the songs. You know, it's not it wasn't just about that. It's more about Josh's intro and, you know, kind of fitting the vibe we wanted to hit. But, um, you know, we got so many good selections, but these were three that we thought would kind of fit the show, fit the the words over the intro and that me, Josh and Jackie, our producer, all really like. Yeah, I, and I just just to reiterate that, and and, and uh, you know, we were talking about this yesterday as we were kind of making some of the final decisions. You know, some of I, I'm thinking of one song that we got that I loved. I so loved it, and and the reason we didn't pick that of as one of the three is that again, there's this thing about um, a theme song where the main thing is is it's got to have a certain propulsion forward at the beginning of the episode where I'm doing my introduction over it. Right. So there's, there were a lot of songs that we liked a lot, but it didn't, they didn't necessarily have that kind of forward propulsion thing. Um, but I was, you know, we got, I, I think 30 or 40 entries, which is, which is pretty amazing because not everybody can write a song. Right. And not, not only None can, not, can yeah, so. I can't write a song. So not only can not everybody write a song, but we're talking about like produced songs, right? And 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 for that many people out of this subset of people who can do that, because again, I can't do that, um, was was incredibly gratifying. And they were they were so good, they were so good. It took us a long time um, to kind of process through and 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 uh, be able to make any choices. So the ones, so these are three that we think fit you know kind of those those not just good songs but those kind of very subjective dynamics for show intro kind of thing um so how are we are we gonna do uh we're gonna do the names or how we you want to introduce each one kate sure yeah so we're gonna do the names and then for the bands or the artists we kind of went with the usual tpm house style of using initials because you know we haven't we haven't talked to these people uh, yet. So our first entry here is called Meandering Snake uh, by artist A.N. Hey, 
Okay, so that you can see kind of like that kind of like coming into an episode. That that mm-hmm. that that works. Okay, so what's next? All right, next we've got Why Not Jansfeld by WJ. So that, you know, it, I'm not going to say who, but of these first two, there's there's three of us involved in the show. And so we each, you know, I'm not sure voted, but, you know, kind of uh, uh, Kate, me, Jackie, our, our producer. And there was one of us who that one, the one we just, the second one we just heard was the kind of the favorite. And there's another one of us who the first one was the favorite. So I'm not going to tell Intrigue. you who. Intrigue. Infighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do that. Let's do the third one. The third one is called The Chosen by GH. Okay. All right. So these, these are, uh, you know, I, I could see any of these three. I'm not going to tell you what my secret secret, we need like Price Waterhouse, you know, with the, like the Oscars, <laughs> they have one of those companies that, you know, keep everything, yep. keep everything on the, on the up and up. So anyway, um, let us know what you think. Again, this, we're not doing like an official vote where we're going to do a precise count, but we just want your input. I mean, you're the listener. Um, so if let us know you you write in say hey they're all great say oh i loved you know i love the first one the second one blah 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 blah. let us know that's really important we're really gonna we're really gonna um put this into the mix maybe one of them everybody says oh that one it would destroy the josh marshall podcast (laughs) if you chose that one and you know let us know if you think that or or i can't imagine that would be the case but if there's but particularly interested um you know i'm i'm open-minded here uh among these three so if everybody says oh my god that one is the one then that'll have a big effect so let us know you can you can uh send us an email if 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 you are uh a regular reader of the site it's just the the, you know the 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 regular uh, tpm email box which is talk at talkingpointsmemo.com just drop us a line let us know which one you liked yeah, I would just like to add while we're talking about kind of listener input email, we got so many good questions this week. So we obviously couldn't get them all get to them all on the show, but a whole slew and all of them were very kind of thoughtful and interesting and we'll be sure to address more on future shows. But thank you for that. Yeah. And so remember, the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Best uh 
best iced coffee made uh, produced on this planet. So give it a try. <laughs> you can go to Grady'sColdBrew.com uh, to order it there. You can also get it. Uh, I think you can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can also get it at your local grocery store. But at uh, Grady'sColdBrew.com with the offer code TPM, you can get uh, 25% off your first order. So really good deal. All right. All right. Later. Same time next week. Yep. <laughs>